So I'm going to start today by asking you some questions, and I'm actually going to give you a few seconds uh, to just ponder them. Um, the first one is, do you ever feel alone? Do you ever, do you believe that God is with you? How do you know God is with you? If God is with you, then what is he doing? How do your actions reflect God being with you? And why is God with you? So did you know that Genesis spends more time talking about Joseph than any other story or event in the entire book? About 30%, 30% of the entire book is spent talking about Joseph's life. In comparison, uh, only 3% is given to creation, and about 20% is given to Abraham. Now, by no means does that mean that Joseph is more important than creation or Abraham, uh, but I think we should take note that where the Bible spends a lot of time and effort, we should also spend a lot of time and effort. So with that said, we're going to hurry and get through it all today. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. So what I want you to do is later go back and read it. Email me your thoughts, your snide remarks, your questions, but go back and dive deep into what God's Word says about Joseph's story. Joseph's story begins with him being the firstborn of Rachel, uh, his dad's favorite wife, making him his favorite son. The problem is, is that by the time that Joseph was born, there were already 10 other sons with three other women. So playing favorites didn't really fit in well with the family. And although we're not going to talk a lot about jealousy, if you want one theme to study in, in both Jacob's life, Joseph's father, and Joseph's life, jealousy is a good thread to pull on. Jacob, Joseph's dad, had a pretty interesting life as well, which includes some dressing up in fur to trick his dad, uh, to get his brother's blessing, then running from his brother because he was pretty angry, having God come to him in a dream, literally wrestling with God and only coming out with a, a hip injury, making peace with his brother, and then having 12 sons. Now, some of Jacob's story happens while Joseph is a small boy, and, and by the time Genesis picks up Joseph's story when he is 17, I think we can imagine that Jacob has taught his sons about what has happened in his own life and why it happened. So by that time that Joseph is a young adult, he understands and has a foundation of faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also known as great-grandpap, grandpap, and pap, right? Now, if you imagine sitting around the fire with these guys, Jacob's telling stories night after night about how his dad told him one time that your grandfather took my dad up to a mountain to worship, and they got up there, and they were going to worship by giving a sacrifice. And my dad looked around and realized, there's no sacrifice. And your grandpa, Abe, said, well, I'm going to tie you up, and you're going to be the sacrifice. And at that moment, God provided a lamb, and God was faithful. And then the next night, they would be sitting around, and Jacob would tell the story about how he beat God in a wrestling match, right? Uh, and he would say something like, have I ever told you how I got this limp? And they would go, I don't know why I gave him that accent. That was weird. Uh, he's not a cowboy, I'm pretty sure. 
That's just how I imagined it. I don't know. And they would all roll their eyes, right, and say, yeah, every time you get the chance, Dad, you tell us about your hip. And, but the point is, is that Jacob understood the importance of teaching his boys the lessons that God had taught him and his dad and his dad about the way that God would be faithful, that he would provide when he was with them, and he was and still is undefeated champ in all the wrestling matches. And as we dive deeper into Joseph's story, it cannot be understated how important this foundation is for the rest of his life. Now, I know this lesson is about a teen titan, but for all of us who are over the age of 19, which is probably most of us in this room, this foundation is where our role is most prominent in Joseph's story. We are the ones who have the responsibility to help lay the foundation of faith for children and generations to come. What a blessing it was for Joseph to understand at such a young age how much God cared for him and his family and has shown himself to be faithful and good and loving. And we see this urging for parents and generations to pass their testimony on to the next generation throughout all of Scripture. In Deuteronomy 31 and 32, Moses is about to die. The Israelites are about to go into the promised land, and he gives uh, this last reading, and he writes a song. And the last thing he ever reads is the book, is the law that God had given him. And then he writes this song so that the Israelites can remember what God had done for them, how he had provided, how he cared for them. And at the end of all of this, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He says, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word to you, but your very life. Or in Psalm chapter 78, the psalmist says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. But even with all of the foundation that Jacob would try and lay out, what makes Joseph an excellent teen titan is the way that he is able to take his father's faith and make it his own to navigate his own life. And it is my hope today that as we uh, look through the choices that Joseph made as a young person, we can see the profound effect they had not only on his future, but as on the future of many people. So let's dive into the story. And since there's a lot to cover, I'm going to paraphrase most of this story, and we'll just zoom in and read a few verses here and there. So in chapter 37... Genesis, we pick up our Teen Titans story at the age of 17. We've already said that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, and it is confirmed here with a a treatment that Jacob gives him with a, a coat, a special robe. And then it also says that he is Jacob's son of his old age, or that Joseph is Jacob's son of his old age. And and that can also mean that Joseph could be mature for his age. Um, but the point is, is that Joseph was special. And to make matters worse for Joseph, uh, he receives two dreams from God, one where he sees his brothers, his older brothers, bowing down to him, and the other, he doesn't only just see his brothers, but his mom and dad bowing down to him as well. And when Joseph tells his dreams to his family, his brothers get even more jealous and frustrated, and when given the opportunity, when they're away from their father, they throw him into a pit. They think and talk about killing him, 
and instead they sell him into slavery. Now the Bible doesn't give us a snapshot of what Jacob or Joseph is feeling in these moments or what he said or what he did, but I really can have no concept of the grief, the sadness, the anger, the fear, the loneliness that Joseph would have been feeling and experiencing in these moments. The next thing we hear about Joseph is in chapter 39. And in verse 1, we see that he has been bought by Potiphar, who was a captain of the guard in Egypt. And in verse 2, I'm going to read what it says, uh, because I don't, I, only, I don't think it just applies in this moment, but I think it gives insight to um, what happened and what Joseph was feeling in the pit with his brothers on his journey to Egypt as a slave, and it, it's a thread throughout the rest of his life. It says this in verse 2. It said, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became successful. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The Lord was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And we sit here now in in hindsight, and we're like, yeah, duh, like, we understand to some degree the concept of omnipresence, uh, that God is everywhere at the same time. We know what Psalm 139 says. It says this, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So God is everywhere. God is present in this moment. But I think we often forget this concept. Or even if we don't forget, we just blatantly ignore it. It's not part of our reality. We go through our day-to-day lives and just simply act like God isn't there. And honestly, I think this, this is what makes Joseph a titan of faith. Because he chooses to recognize God's presence in his life and then to live out his life that showed that God was with him in everything that he did. That is why he was able to endure the trek to Egypt alone as a 17-year-old kid. That is why he didn't succumb to sadness and anger when his own big brothers poured out their hatred on him by selling him like a piece of property. Because he knew, he believed, and trusted that the same God that was with Abraham and Isaac and his dad was with him. And what we're going to see throughout the rest of his story is that God's presence and Joseph's awareness of that presence is going to give him the ability to overcome temptation, overcome tribulation and trials, and give him the ability to save. If we continue on in chapter 39, we see Potiphar's wife trying to seduce Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph is is a young man still, and he's pretty handsome, better looking than me. And Potiphar's wife says, hey, come on into bed, good looking. And Joseph's response, Joseph's response to her is this. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me and my master has no concern about anything in his house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
And as, he spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Not to sin against Potiphar, not to sin against himself, not to sin against Potiphar's wife, but to sin against God. But how would God know, Joseph? Nobody's around to tell, except for you and her, and I'm pretty sure she's not going to do it. But what we see is that Joseph chooses to recognize that God is present in that moment, in, in every moment. And because of that, day after day, Joseph is able to resist the temptation to sin against God because he's right there with him. He has the power to overcome sin because God has, God's presence has given him that power. The great news is, for us that who, who believe in Jesus, we are promised that God is not only with us, but that he dwells inside us through the Holy Spirit. And when we recognize that that Spirit is dwelling inside of us, we too have the same power to overcome temptation and sin. Romans 8, 12, uh, verses 12 and 13 says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When we truly start to recognize not only that God is present with us all of the time, but also that his spirit is leading us and guiding us and dwelling inside us, then we are able to restrain our selfish and sinful flesh in order to love others and love God rather than to act against them. It is through choosing to recognize the presence of God that we are able to overcome temptation. Unfortunately for Joseph, not everyone chooses to recognize that God is with them. And because of that, Potiphar's wife lies and he gets thrown in jail. And when in jail, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was faithful to Joseph and again worked in a terrible situation of Joseph's life to bring about hope and peace. And Joseph had the opportunity to interpret two more dreams. Uh, if you're wondering where we're at in the story, it's chapter 40 now. Um, with a cupbearer and a baker from, uh, that worked for Pharaoh. And he predicted these dreams correctly, interpreted them. The cupbearer lived, the baker died. The cupbearer had the opportunity to help Joseph get out of jail by telling Pharaoh about what he did, but he forgot. So yet again, Joseph is alone and facing life in prison that he does not deserve. How can a man survive yet another hardship or trial? How after slavery, wrongful imprisonment, and after helping someone only to be left behind again can Joseph endure? For another two years, Joseph waited in jail either to die or to be remembered and yet, I think Joseph found comfort and endurance in God's presence to overcome this suffering. 
He chose to recognize that he truly wasn't alone, that God did love and care about him and had not abandoned him. Now, I know a lot of people who are going through difficult things, more difficult things than than I've experienced in my own life, from cancer and diseases that don't have cures to just constant surgeries to death to the loss of jobs, to divorce, to all these brokenness and suffering around us. But those who are facing these things in their lives that are Christians that I know, who know God and to know that he is present with them, they are some of the strongest and bravest people that I've ever seen. Yes, they are hurting. This isn't a sermon about how if God is with you, then everything is going to be okay because we know that that's not true. Yes, they are hurting, but they know and they trust that their God cares for them, has not abandoned them. They meditate on his word and his promises, and they are sustained for another day, another hour, another minute by his presence in their life. They know that Jesus has promised things like this will happen in the world, but he will be with us through them and that he has overcome this world and is bringing about a new one where all of those pain and suffering and tears will be gone. They won't happen anymore. And I imagine Joseph sitting in the jail cell running the stories of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and his dad through his mind over and over and over again, reminding himself that God was with him and loved him. So then after two years, the cupbearer finally remembered Joseph when Pharaoh had two dreams of himself uh, that no one could tell him the meaning of. The cupbearer told Pharaoh of Joseph, and he had Joseph brought to him to interpret the dreams. And these dreams that Pharaoh had predicted seven years of really good harvest and then seven years of the worst famine of all time. And when Joseph told him what they meant, he offered advice on what God wanted them to do, and this is what Pharaoh said to this foreigner, this slave, this prisoner who is Joseph. We're in in chapter 41 now, verse 37, 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves, you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh sees what Joseph, that God is with Joseph, and that Joseph has the spirit of God dwelling inside of him, and puts him in second command of the entire country of Egypt to save it from the famine that is to come. And the famine does come. And it spreads farther than just Egypt. It reaches the known world, including where Joseph's family is from. And his brothers realize they have no food and have to go to Egypt to beg for some, to buy some. And when they get there, Joseph recognizes them and with all the power of Egypt could smite them down right there in his midst without question. But Joseph shows mercy and grace to them after a bit of testing, of course. It's a brotherly thing. And then in chapter 45, we see what God's presence is really all about. 
what all this is being leading up to. In every situation, God's presence is working. In every situation, God's presence is working to save, both then and now. In verse 5 of chapter 45, it says this, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And later after Joseph had moved his entire family into the land of Goshen, which is the most fertile part of Egypt, Pharaoh just continues to recognize God's hand on Joseph's life and God moves to give them the most fertile part of the desert. And his, and his dad finally passes away. And his brothers, again, fear for their lives because they're like, well, now dad's not here to calm Joseph down about us. Um, and so Joseph makes it even more clear about what God's presence was all about throughout the entire time of his life, even in the midst of slavery and prison and famine. And in chapter 50, verse 21, he says this. So do not fear. Nope, that's the wrong verse. Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring, about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph understood now that God was not only with him, but was moving through him to bring about life and hope to many people. Joseph's choice to recognize and believe that God was with him when he was 17 and 18 and 19, when he overcame temptation and tribulation, now gave him the ability to, and under, to understand and say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that many people should be kept alive. You see, Joseph recognized God's presence around him, and because of that, God brought about his purpose through Joseph. And here's where I'm probably going to be a little too honest with you, but that's just how I like to preach is honesty. I, I hope everybody does. But more often than not, uh, in the regular rhythm of life, I not only fail to recognize that God is with me, but I live in a way that it, it really doesn't even show that it matters if he existed. If there's one thing that this sermon uh, just drove into my heart time and time and time again with not judgment but with God's grace, was that too often I forget or ignore that God is with me. I'm living out my own purpose rather than his. Whenever I get angry or rude with someone around me, especially my wife whom I love, or when I get too busy to care about people, or when I feel lazy or apathetic, when I'm tempted to sin, and it's in those moments that I will give in to my selfishness and sin, I will feel overwhelmed by the trial or whatever's going on in my life, and I won't just see evil, I, I won't see but the good that can be worked through evil, I'll only see the evil. See, when we choose not to recognize God's presence around us, we automatically will turn to ourselves and only ourselves. We are unable to love others like we're supposed to, and certainly not able to love God like we're supposed to. But God has promised and has shown through Joseph's story 
that when we do choose to recognize his presence, we can overcome temptation and sin, trials and tribulation. But more than that, he will bring about his purpose of saving others through us. Joseph's story ultimately points uh, to the story of the one who lived in, in God's presence perfectly, in perfect communion as father and son, and that is Jesus Christ. In his life, Jesus overcame temptation from the devil himself by, by quoting scripture and understanding that his power came from God's spirit. He was able to to withstand being cast out of his hometown and constantly being ridiculed by others and ultimately torture and death because he was constantly praying and talking with God. And it is obvious that what the Pharisees and the Romans meant for evil by his death on the cross, God meant for good and the saving of all. It is because of Jesus and his story that we are able to have such assurance of God's presence in our lives. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has, tempted, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Because of Jesus' perfect life, his death, his resurrection, we have direct access to God who sits on the throne of grace. We have a promise that Jesus is able to give us what we need in every situation in life, whether it is temptation or trial, because he knows and understands what it is like to live as a human in a broken world. The purpose of God's presence in our world from the very beginning of time was to be in relationship with us. We broke that relationship with sin. And ever since that time the relationship was broken, God's presence in our world has been very purposely been trying to put that relationship back together. And he's done all the work through Jesus, and yet he chooses us, the same people who broke the relationship, to show those who still do not know him that they too can be saved. At the very beginning of this sermon, I asked you some questions. Do you, feel, do you ever feel alone? Do you believe that God is with you? How do you know God is with you? If God is with you, then what is he doing? How do your actions reflect God being with you? Why is God with you? And I can't answer uh, any or all of those questions for you, but I can say this, that God has given us a purpose, and that is to love him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves so that we can make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that Jesus has taught us. And I can say that his presence in our life is to bring about that purpose, because at the end of the Great Commission, he says this, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Joseph recognized God's presence in his entire life, even though he did not know what God's purpose ultimately was until it had come about. But because of Jesus, we know what God's purpose is now. And because of Jesus, we know that we have a promise that God's presence is going to help us with that purpose. All we need to do now is to believe and recognize in every moment 
and every trial and every temptation and every sorrow and every joy that God is with us, present, caring, guiding, loving. Because when we choose to recognize God's presence in our life, it is then that God will use us to bring about his purpose in our life, a purpose of love and salvation to those around us, a purpose of saving many, the same purpose he had for Joseph's life. So again, I'll ask you some questions. Do you believe that God is with you? How do you know God is with you? If God is with you, then what is he doing? How do your actions reflect God being with you? Why is God with you? Who is God calling you to love so he can save? I want to leave you with this promise from Romans 8 about God's presence and our purpose in our lives. It says this, And we know that for those who, God, who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Further on it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him graciously, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, it, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, in, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray.